Just some housekeeping before we get started. I apologize for not having an episode last week. I have been fostering a dog and she has been taking up a lot of my time. I have to um, sleep in a whole separate room in the house due to her not getting along with one of my dogs. Um, It's actually my dog that doesn't get along with her. Um, We got him during COVID and he gets along great with my dog, but his social skills with new dogs is um, nil due to COVID. So um, I'm fostering her and um, looking for a home for her. So if you are in the Ohio area, and you are interested in a very smart dog. She is a pit lab mix. <laughs> Please hit me up at my email or my Instagram. She loves cuddles. She loves to play. She's extremely smart. She just needs time. And um, she gets along well with my other dog. She just, she just needs time and love and somebody to go with walks with her and, um, Unfortunately, she just doesn't fit in with my family. So that's what held me up last week was her. (laughs) So, yeah. But um, I'm hoping that I'll be able to get an episode out per week this month because it's Black History Month. And I really want to make sure that I am getting out as much as I can this month for that. So this week we are focusing on somebody that I like never hear about, even though um, she has contributed so much to society and most people never, you know, speak her name. So without further ado, here is my episode on Henrietta Lacks. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Just an Avocado White Woman. It is February and Black History Month, so today I'm going to be focusing on an important woman that a lot of people have likely never heard of. If you or someone you know has ever had and or been treated for cancer, gotten a vaccine, or ever gotten a fertility treatment, you should be thanking a black woman named Henrietta Lacks. But it's likely that most of you listening have never even heard of the name. In fact, I'd never heard of her until I came across a 1997 BBC documentary called The Way of Flesh about Henrietta and her cells, commonly called HeLa cells, which led me to the book The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks by Rebecca Skloot. Rebecca Skloot, inspired by her biology course, researched the life of Henrietta Lacks, whose cells were first to be kept stable in a lab leading to numerous medical breakthroughs. Sklut discovered that many sources incorrectly named Lacks and that her family felt exploited by the medical community. Sklut's research culminated in a book during the writing of which she formed a friendship with Lacks' daughter, Deborah. Her daughter, Deborah, says, quote, I always have thought it strange. If our mother's cells done so much for medicine, How come her family can't afford to see no doctors? Don't make no sense. 
People got rich off my mother without us even knowing about them taking her cells. Now we don't get a dime. I used to get mad about that to where it made me sick and I had to take pills. But I don't got it in me no more to fight. I just want to know who my mother was, unquote. Henrietta Lacks, born as Loretta Pleasant, grew up on a tobacco farm in Clover, Virginia, with her cousin and future husband, David Day Lacks. After giving birth to two children, she moved to Turner Station, Maryland, to join Day, who worked at Bethlehem Steel's Perros Point Mill. In 1951, Henrietta Lacks sought medical attention at John Hopkins Hospital for a knot on her cervix, which she discovered after giving birth to her fourth child. Despite the hospital's distance, it was the closest that treated black patients. The gynecologist, Howard Jones, found a small, rapidly growing purple lump on her cervix, along with several other health concerns in her medical records that Henrietta had not addressed. Henrietta Lacks was diagnosed with cervical cancer, and her gynecologist boss, Richard Talind and George Guy, took her tissue for research. Researchers at Hopkins were trying to grow a, quote, immortal cell line at the time. While she consented to any operation deemed necessary, she was not informed that her tissue samples would be used for research. As was common practice at the time, experiments were conducted on patients from the public wards, often without their knowledge. At Hopkins, many public ward patients were black. Doctors justified this practice because the public ward patients couldn't pay in full. Mir Kubisek, assistant to Guy, prepared cell cultures from Henrietta Lacks, which were labeled as HeLa. After Henrietta's radium treatment, her cancerous cells not only survived, but also grew rapidly in culture, leading George to believe he may have grown the first, quote, immortal human cells. Henrietta Lacks returned to her routine after her second radium treatment, despite needing to start x-ray therapy. She faced challenges, including her daughter Elsie's institutionalization and her own infertility and gonorrhea, likely contracted from her partner Day. The side effects of her treatments, including fertility loss, which she insisted she was not told about, and severe skin burns from the radium, exacerbated her condition. George Guy, in his quest to cure cancer, cultured HeLa cells and sent them to scientists worldwide, contributing significantly to scientific research. Despite their value, HeLa cells did not gain public recognition due to the public suspicion of cell culturing, linked to the controversial scientist Alexis Carell, who was associated with eugenics and unverifiable claims of creating immortal cells in 1912 from a chicken heart. In 1951, Henrietta Lacks, despite her health concerns, was initially told by her doctors that she was healthy. In that era, doctors occasionally withheld basic information from patients in order not to upset or confuse them, a practice called benevolent deception. However, she was later found to have an inoperable tumor 
and underwent radiation therapy. Her family was under the impression that the doctors were still trying to cure her. There is no record of George Guy, who took her cell samples, visiting her in the hospital, or informing her about the use of her cells. Henrietta Lacks, overwhelmed by tumors, required constant blood transfusions, and suffered extreme pain before her death in October 51. She expressed concern for the welfare of her children, especially Deborah. After Henrietta passed away, Guy wanted to conduct an autopsy to collect cells from her other organs. While living patients' tissue samples didn't need consent, samples after death did. Hopkins contacted Day for permission, but he said no. The following day, when Day went to see Henrietta's body, the doctors asked again. They said the tests could help Henrietta's children in the future. Hearing this, Day agreed. Kubasek helped with the cell samples. She told Skloot that seeing Henrietta's painted toenails made her realize that the cells came from a real person. During Henrietta's burial, a big storm hit and knocked over a cabin in the Lax town and even caused a fatal accident. Henrietta's cousin Peter thought the storm was Henrietta expressing her anger. In late 1951, the world was grappling with a severe polio epidemic. Dr. Jones Slack at the University of Pittsburgh had developed a vaccine, but he needed to establish its safety before it could be administered. The National Foundation for Infantile Paralysis, or NFIP, designed a clinical trial, but the immunity tests required monkey cells, which were too expensive. The NFIP reached out to George Guy to explore if his cell cultures could be used as an alternative. In 1952, Guy and a colleague successfully demonstrated that HeLa cells were vulnerable to polio virus. Once Guy had figured out a method to ship large amounts of HeLa cells through the mail, the NFIP aimed to mass produce these cells for their research. Charles Bynum, the director of Black Activities for the NFIP, recommended the Tuskegee Institute as a potential site for HeLa cell production to support black scientists. The cells produced by these scientists ultimately validated the effectiveness of SLAC's vaccine. Despite being cancerous, HeLa cells behave similarly to healthy cells, making them valuable for various types of research. Scientists utilize Henrietta cells to study viruses, free cells without harm, standardized tissue culturing practices, and even clone individual cells. HeLa cells also led to many genetic advancements, including the discovery that human cells contain 46 chromosomes. The demand for HeLa cells soon outstripped Tuskegee Labs' capacity. Samuel Reeder, the leader of a company named Microbiological Associates, and his business partner, researcher Monroe Vincent, recognized this as a business opportunity. They established the first for-profit industrial-scale cell distribution center and began supplying the large labs like the NIH. The success of microbiological associates and similar companies eventually forced the Tuskegee lab out of business. George Guy was frustrated by the fixation on HeLa cells. 
He was reluctant to write about the growth of HeLa cells, and ultimately, his wife Margaret submitted the abstract. She frequently documented and submitted his findings thereafter. Guy's friends queried why he didn't claim ownership of HeLa research before it became, quote, generic scientific property, but he showed little interest in profiting from his work. Starting in late 1953, multiple publications misnamed Henrietta Lacks the donor of HeLa cells either intentionally or unintentionally. Despite efforts to protect her privacy, misinformation about her identity, and the circumstances of her cell donation were published. In the 1950s, virologist Chester Southam conducted unethical experiments using HeLa cells, injecting them into cancer patients and healthy volunteers without their informed consent. The volunteers were from the Ohio State Penitentiary. His actions led to legal action and calls for him to lose his medical license. Despite support from other doctors, Southam and his colleague Emmanuel Mandel faced a one-year probation. This case prompted the National Institutes of Health that experiments on human subjects be reviewed by a board to qualify for funding. In 1996, geneticist Daniel Garter revealed that most human cell cultures had been contaminated by HeLa cells and validating many research studies. He found that 18 common cell cultures shared a genetic marker predominantly found in Black Americans, suggesting HeLa contamination as the cells originated from a Black woman. This discovery implied cells do not spontaneously become cancerous, but HeLa cells had taken over samples. In 1970, Guy, who had contracted pancreatic cancer, instructed his team to take samples from his tumor for cell culture, but he died later that year. Around this time, a misdiagnosis of Henrietta Lacks' tumor type was discovered, and her real name was published for the first time in a specialty publication. Amidst a war on cancer declared by President Nixon and widespread HeLa contamination, public interest grew about the mysterious HeLa. In 1973, an article in Nature magazine called for the release of Gila's identity, leading to the revelation of Henrietta's name. In 1973, Henrietta Lacks' family learned about the use of her cells in scientific research. Due to language barriers and lack of scientific literacy, the family misunderstood the purpose of the blood samples taken for DNA mapping believing they were being tested for cancer. This misunderstanding, coupled with knowledge of unethical medical experiments like the Tuskegee syphilis study, caused significant distress and mistrust within the family. Sonny and Lawrence, two of the sons, were upset upon learning that people profited from their mother, Henrietta, though there was no evidence that George Guy or Hopkins Institute did. Deborah, Henrietta's daughter, was distressed by new healer research and upset that her mother was often misnamed. The revelation that Henrietta was black stirred controversy and added a racial aspect to the discussion, especially considering the Tuskegee syphilis experiments and the way scientists talked about Gila infecting other cell cultures.
This idea of cells being taken from your body and being used to create things to save lives is not something I've personally ever thought about, but what would you do if you found out that something like this was done without your consent? While Henrietta Lacks did not have the ability to find out, two other men in the 70s did. In 1976, John Moore had his spleen removed for leukemia treatment at UCLA by Dr. David Gold. Unbeknownst to Moore, Gold patented a cell line for Moore cells worth billions. Moore discovered this seven years later and sued Gold and UCLA for not obtaining informed consent. The Supreme Court of California ruled that removed tissue was not personal property, but also noted Gold's failure to obtain informed consent. They urged for consent regulations, expressing concern that patient control could impede scientific research. In contrast, Ted Slavin, whose cells had high hepatitis B antibodies, capitalized on his cells' value by starting essential biologicals to profit from them. The debate over cell research and ownership involves issues of consent, profit, and patient privacy. While tissue samples can be used for research without explicit permission, concerns arise about patient rights and compensation. The control of gene patents by pharmaceutical companies, scientists, and universities further complicates the issues. The Lacks family, whose matriarch Henrietta's cells have been widely used in research, could potentially argue for the withdrawal of cells based on shared DNA, although this would be a challenging legal battle. This episode barely touched on who Henrietta and her family actually is, only on what she's contributed to science. I watched a documentary and read the book twice, and each time I've learned something new. There's now also a movie based on the book, The Immoral Life of Henrietta Lacks. It follows Rebecca Skloot's journey with Deborah into Henrietta's life, just as the book does. In the show notes, I've included links for the book, documentary, and film. I've also included links that touch on racial bias in medicine, though this wasn't my focus for this episode. It is still an important topic, and in 2024, something that we should not have to be fighting, but we will. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Just an Avocado White Woman. Next week, we'll have an episode on Black inventors and their contributions to society.